Hello, med students. My name is Zach Olson, and thank you for downloading this week's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. So let's pick up where we left off last week. Remember, we're doing presentation-based learning, and we were talking about the single most high-yield complaint that uh, you could study for your clerkship, abdominal pain. So I'm going to give you our presentation again. Hello, Dr. Olson. In bed 20, I have a 48-year-old female with a past medical history of insulin-dependent diabetes, no history of abdominal surgeries, who comes in with abdominal pain. She describes it as a severe, generalized abdominal pain that started last night and has been gradually worsening since then. She's had some subjective fevers, but no history of AFib and no vomiting, dark tarry stools, urinary symptoms, or vaginal bleeding or vaginal discharge. Vitals and triage showed a mild tachycardia, which she still does have in the room, afebrile here, otherwise stable. Focused abdominal exam shows nonspecific tenderness throughout, no focal guarding or rigidity, no masses, no CVA tenderness. Honestly, I don't have any particular diagnosis that I think is most likely, but we do need to rule out the life threats. Ectopic pregnancy, DKA, and appendicitis are a few that came to mind. So, for my testing plan, I would like to get a pregnancy test, electrolytes, a CBC, a lipase, a liver function test, and a CT scan with IV contrast. And for my treatment plan, I would like to get her some Zofran, four milligrams of Zofran, and some morphine and some fluids. I think that if everything returns normal, she should be safe for outpatient follow-up within the next 24 hours, as long as she's looking okay. So... Picking up where we left off last week with step four, you've already spent a few minutes talking to your patient so that you can give the first few steps of your presentation, steps one through three, that opening demographic sentence with age, gender, pertinent abdominal medical history, pertinent abdominal surgical history, and the chief complaint, which is abdominal pain. You picked about four descriptors for the abdominal pain, and you put that in a sentence, and then you put in the red flags of atrial fibrillation, maybe, dark tarry stools, as well as some other pertinent abdominal pain positives like fevers, vomiting, urinary symptoms, maybe cardiac symptoms, whatever. So now we're moving on to the exam. So step four, address the vitals. So say, you know, vitals in triage showed a mild tachycardia, which she still does have in the room. She's afebrile here, and otherwise everything's within normal limits. You don't have to list out, don't get the wrong idea, you don't have to list out each vital sign individually. If they're all normal, just say vitals are all within normal limits. But again, big ones, you know, fever should be pretty obvious. If they have a fever, you should mention that during your presentation. Um, even more important, and we talked about this in our slow crushing episodes, you get that, that you have to recheck that heart rate and that respiratory rate. And for abdominal pain, I would say most commonly, it's really going to be that heart rate that you're rechecking that is going to make you look smart. So remember in triage, you tend to get that false positive tachycardia. And while you're in the room with the patient, uh, trust me, your attending or your resident will have, or at least should have recognized that they had some tachycardia in triage and, you know, vitals are vital. So, um, you should be thinking and predicting what they're looking at. And so you should recheck the heart rate while you're in the room with the patient. And if it was abnormal, uh, put it in your presentation. 
and say, hey, I, I double-checked the heart rate and um, it, it's not what it was in triage or, yeah, it's still what it was in triage or it's worse. Blood pressure, obviously. Usually blood pressure, it's really the hypotension that is bad. Hypertension is going to be rarely relevant with abdominal pain. But step four, quick vitals summary. You'd be smart to just kind of always check the heart rate when you're in the room with the patient. Um, and eventually you'll just get kind of good at just telling. You know, usually when I listen to the heart, I can tell if it's beating fast or not just because I've listened to so many patients. But step four, the vitals. Step five is you examine the complaint. Abdominal exam shows nonspecific tenderness throughout. There's no focal guarding or rigidity. There's no masses. There's no CVA tenderness. When you give an abdominal pain presentation and you do your exam, don't be like when you give your presentation, don't say, oh, the heart and the lungs sounded clear. The abdomen was non-tender. There's no edema in the legs. No, 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 no. You're not doing it right. Did you check those things on exam? Sure, probably. But um, you're not putting that in your presentation unless something is abnormal, obviously. What you want to focus on during your presentation is how amazing your abdominal exam was, which is more than just pushing on the abdomen. Remember, this is another slow crushers thing. Whatever their complaint is, you want to do a thorough examination and focus your examination on that complaint. I remember when I first started, I thought kind of a, a quadrant-based pushing was what the abdominal exam is until I was in residency. And one of my attendings, his name was Dr. Byer. He's kind of a, a gray beard experience type, right? He told our whole class, he's like, you all suck at abdominal exams is more or less what he said. And he bought us like 15 copies of this book called Cope's Early Diagnosis of the Acute Abdomen and said, you guys need to read this. And I read it and it's, it's a very good book. It was mind blowing. I never realized how much you can get from a truly old school, kind of like that old school surgical detailed abdominal exam. Cause I've been raised in the age of CT scans and you think, well, Zach exam's not perfect. Why not just get a CT? Well, for a few reasons, one CTs aren't perfect. Remember that that's CTs will lead, mislead you all the time. CTs will also give you just like random BS that the patient's then stuck with having to deal with that has nothing to do with going with what's going on. And besides the, the fact that your patient has to pay thousands of dollars to get a CT that you were only getting to cover your ass doing the strategy of just CTing everyone is going to absolutely destroy your throughput which maybe doesn't matter to you now, but very soon you're going to be in attending. And if you're scanning everyone and you're getting into the habit of scanning everyone, you are hurting your patients in triage. It is not good patient care because your patients in triage are now stuck in triage where no one's seeing them. And quite frankly, uh, scanning everyone is just not going to cut it when you're a partner in a group of strong emergency medicine doctors in real world community medicine. Maybe academics is different. I don't know. I don't have a ton of experience with academics, but you absolutely should not be scanning everybody in the real world. You need to be doing a focused, very, very good abdominal exam and only scan if you need to. So focus on the abdominal exam in your presentation. You can, you can palpate, you can listen, you can, you can percuss them. Focus. That's the point though. I want you focusing on the abdominal exam. 
I've actually tested this. So since I'm at a community hospital, I don't get very many emergency medicine rotators because we're just, you know, the lowly community hospital, right? And OSU is next door. And so your emergency medicine students are at OSU trying to get slows from an academic medical center. Makes sense, right? I've been there. I went to OSU. I know how it works. So you know how it is. People who don't give a shit about a particular rotation, they're typically the ones going out to like the local community sites and they're trying to BS their way through rotations. And so I'll get much more often than like emergency medicine students, I'll get like surgery or radiation oncology or some other random specialty. Right. And I had a surgical student in the ED with me once and I told her, here's what we're going to do on every patient in this ED with abdominal pain. I want you to do a history and exam And I want you to give me a diagnosis. I want the most detailed exam you can give me on everybody with abdominal pain. I want you to tell me what you think is happening. And I'll get CTs and, you know, get what I need to get. But she nailed the diagnosis every time. I actually got great feedback from her with this experiment, too. She's like, I learned how to trust my exam. Focus the abdominal exam. Present a focused abdominal exam. Palpate. And then palpate with distraction. Imagine, maybe another way of doing this. Imagine you're, you're palpating every organ that you learned in anatomy. You're like, where's the liver? And then you're like, I'm going to push on the liver. I'm going to try pushing on the gallbladder. I'm going to push on the appendix. And then if they're tender in the area, you know, percussion is kind of like, eh, you don't do it that much, but try percussing areas where they're tender because it's a really good way to check actually for peritoneal signs. Um, if you want more ideas, just read, read copes. Okay. But present a focused exam of the complaint. Examine the complaint. Abdominal exam shows nonspecific tenderness throughout. There's no focal guarding. There's no rigidity. There's no masses. There's no CVA tenderness. Now you're done with your exam. Now step six, offer your suspected diagnosis. It does not have to be a life threat. It should be something typically fairly either common or obvious, or you can say, I don't know. Okay. I, you can say, honestly, I don't have any particular diagnosis that really sticks out to me yet. I think I need to do just a few more tests. That's okay. But let's just pause here because I personally do think it's very important that you are recognizing possible common benign diagnoses. And here's why. So you, you rotate in emergency medicine, you get it. It's all about the life threats. Attendings want you to know all about these life threatening diagnoses. That's like the core curriculum. And that's what I was raised on. The issue is, is that if you lose sight of all of the common things that can cause symptoms, you're going to drive yourself mad trying to pin down a life threat towards every complaint because most people don't have a life-threatening issue going on. It is very, very important that you have a suspected diagnosis at least. Or if you have no idea of what the diagnosis is, that you at least recognize, hey, honestly, I have no idea what's going on. You need to be able to, to do that. All this to say, I do think that you need to be considering and trying to come up with what you think a most likely diagnosis is. And, you know, even saying if it's a benign diagnosis in your presentation, that at least, you know, it shows that you're thinking. And again, you're going to get maybe a little bit of a strange look from your emergency medicine attending because they want you to just be like, oh, this patient comes with abdominal pain. And then you just go like, ectopic pregnancy, appendicitis, AAA, MI. But that's not how it is in the real world. Okay. So. Hang with me here. I want you, first things first, let me ask you a question. Do you know what the most common diagnosis is on patients who come in with a chief complaint of abdominal pain? What are we putting in the chart as the impression, the diagnosis? 
It's abdominal pain. No diagnosis. No diagnosis can be made despite a real high-quality diagnostic effort. And that happens about a third of the time. And that's okay. And I like to actually sometimes tell patients this up front and just say, hey, just so you know, about a third of patients that come in, even though I know you're having very bad symptoms, we're not going to be able to find a diagnosis. And that means one of two things. That either means you're going to be better in the next day or so, and you're going to be feeling much better soon, and I'll give you medicine for your symptoms, and it should just go away. But if it doesn't get better, that means you need an in-depth workup with your doctor and possibly even a specialist. We got to get to the bottom of this. And then you send these patients with unknown diagnoses home. And the diagnosis, at least temporarily, is abdominal pain. It does not mean that nothing is going on. It means that your workup is negative and that they're safe to undergo outpatient management. I've seen so much stuff, and it'll be like a year later, and someone will come back to the emergency department that I had seen way before. And I'll look at the chart and be like, hey, I've seen this person before. And they were there with abdominal pain or whatever complaint. This applies to all the complaints. And I will have sent them home with just abdominal pain and whatever. I, I thought it was nothing. And within a few weeks, they actually follow up with their doctor and they see GI and they end up having something crazy. They have Lyme's disease or Crohn's or an ulcer or something. Stuff that you just, it's hard to diagnose in the emergency department. Maybe it's its probably not a life threat and it's probably not showing up on your, on your ED testing, nor would it, even if you tested everything. But just know that there's things out there that you can't diagnose that can cause patients tremendously horrible symptoms. You need to know that. Because I think it puts you in the right mindset for how you need to discharge them. But let's kind of pull it back together here. Um, so the most common diagnosis you're going to be giving is abdominal pain. It's going to be, hey, I don't know what's causing this. But there's some other diagnoses that are pretty common that you can kind of see out there. So gastritis is something, you know, for someone who's vomiting or who's having like some, you know, epigastric burning or something. Gastroenteritis is if they have both vomiting and diarrhea. Things like ovarian cysts are pretty common. You know, you can always say it's just, uh, you know, a pulled muscle or something. And you, you just need to know it's totally not just okay, but necessary that you identify non-life-threatening things that in all likelihood are what's causing your patient's symptoms. Even, and I will say here though, you never put that diagnosis in your chart, but common things are common. So anyways, step seven. Now, this is where step six is where you say like, what you think is going on, step seven, extremely important to get a good slow, is your critical diagnoses. So like in my presentation, we do need to rule out the life threats of ectopic pregnancy, DKA, and appendicitis. Now that's only three. And so in the clerkship directors of emergency medicine curriculum, I alluded to this last time, but out of the 49 topics um, on there, 12 are critical diagnoses related to the chief complaint of abdominal pain. Again, abdominal pain is a full quarter of what you need to learn about as a med student. So we need to spend some time here, and we will in upcoming weeks. You need to have a working knowledge before your clerkship of these following diagnoses in adults. And this doesn't even include kids, okay, but in adults. Just write them out here because you're going to need to know all of these. Acute coronary syndrome causes abdominal pain frequently, epigastric pain, nausea, vomiting, that kind of thing. Abdominal aortic aneurysm, pelvic inflammatory disease and prostatitis, testicular and ovarian torsion, ectopic pregnancy, diabetic ketoacidosis, 
really any acidosis, actually. I've seen people um, with bad COPD and they're retaining a lot of, um, of, of carbon dioxide and they get abdominal pain too. It's interesting. Appendicitis, biliary diseases like cholecystitis, cholecystitis, cholangitis, a very bad one. Small bowel obstructions, mesenteric ischemia, perforation of, quote, viscous, so perforated peptic ulcers, perforated diverticula, surgical emergencies. So over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into each of these, actually. But let's just move on for now. Just know there's a whole list of critical diagnoses, specifically with abdominal pain. Put a few of them in your presentation, and then when your attending pushes you for more, know, like, another 10 of them, okay? You'd be smart to do that. Step eight, testing plan. So... For my testing plan, I would like to get a pregnancy test, electrolytes, CBC, lipase, liver function, and a CT scan with contrast. And so let's just go through a standard, full abdominal pain order set. And then just know you don't have to do the full order set on every patient. That would be kind of crazy. But this is kind of the things that are common, at least. So for labs, a CBC electrolytes, which are also called a BMP or basic metabolic panel, liver function tests, lipase, um, those ones kind of tend to go together, urinalysis and and pregnancy test. If you're going to go lab somebody up, it's not bad to say, you know, at least CBC, BMP, LFT, lipase, urine, urine pregnancy. And in older adults, you probably are considering adding something like an EKG or troponin if you think this is something that might be cardiac. As far as imaging, In adults, CT is really going to be your most common imaging test for abdominal pain. And so you can do CTs, know this, you can do it either with or without IV contrast. I think that there's an argument that can be made for both of those. Most places are moving away from oral contrast in most scenarios, although there are some times where oral contrast is certainly appropriate. I think that you're going to see a lot of variety from people on whether or not they get IV contrast. And, you know, just personally, I get both. And there's kind of a finesse that you can do with this. Um, But I would say from your perspective, if you had to just pick one CT scan, say like CT scan with IV contrast. But uh, for example, a CT without contrast is going to get done a lot faster. And there have been studies out there that show that you're not going to miss anything major by uh, getting a CT uh, without contrast the majority of the time. Um, and that, you know, radiologists can do just as well reading both. But know that uh, radiologists, that the IV contrast picture is going to be a little bit better. Um, IV contrast is going to be really helpful in people who are thin because um, thin people don't have good images without contrast. It's just the way, like, the fat, I don't know, makes the radiation waves bigger or something, however that works. But, again, um, just because... Let's kind of go back here just because CBC, BMP, lipase, liver, urine, pregnancy, EKG, trope, CT scans are kind of the, your average set. You you by no means have to get these every time and nor should you. I will – I try to avoid any – you know, all tests if it's clear-cut gastroenteritis. If it's clearly like a urinary tract infection, I'll frequently only get a urine. You know, you have to obviously get a pregnancy test on all women that might be pregnant with abdominal pain. Liver and lipase, um, really, if I'm only concerned, you know, for hepatitis, biliary stuff, pancreatitis, 
you know, that's upper abdomen typically. And I'm really only getting CT scans if I have a, a focal exam. Um, some other imaging options are out there. So pelvic symptoms in females, um, well, really in, in males, so you're doing something like a pelvic ultrasound. So if you want to look at like the testes or the ovaries, the uterus, uh, you're typically getting a pelvic ultrasound. Um, the classic teaching is that you should be doing an ultrasound for right upper quadrant because um, they, you know, supposedly the, the ultrasound is the, the standard choice for right upper quadrant and gallbladder type symptoms. Although I've seen a lot of stuff out there that says CT is just as good. You want to be doing a bedside ultrasound on possible abdominal aortic aneurysms. And in almost all kids, this will be the last thing I'll say, almost all peds, you're getting an, an abdominal ultrasound of something before you're getting a CT scan of something. So kind of keep those general um, rules in mind. That's the testing plan. And then treatment plan. And for my treatment plan, I would like to get her four milligrams of Zofran, four milligrams of morphine, and some fluids. What are the common treatments to know for your clerkship, especially for abdominal pain? I actually got really good advice from one of my attendings, Dr. Bruno, when I was a new intern. I felt overwhelmed by trying to learn all the doses and all the medicines. And he was like, Zach, learn the doses for the anti-medics and the pain medicines first. That's where you start. And so that's what I did. It was really useful because um, you give these all the time. And these other medicines you'll learn with time, you can look up. But anti-medics, pain medicine, you want to know the doses for that. And especially with abdominal pain. So let's say nausea medicines. Your most common nausea medicine is going to be four milligrams of IV Zofran in adults. And you can certainly repeat that and repeat it again, but four milligrams IV Zofran. Uh, Zofran can also be given orally if you don't have an IV. The other one would be 25 milligrams of intramuscular Phenergan, and this can be given orally as well. So four milligrams of Zofran, 25 milligrams of Phenergan, very common anti-emetics. Um, and those doses are kind of your standard adult dose. As far as pain medicine, again, kind of standard adult dosing, um, morphine. So four milligrams of IV morphine is pretty common. 0.5 milligrams of IV Dilaudid is really common. Those are kind of like half the recommended like dose. So the idea is that you don't want to like just overdose them, but you can repeat it if you need to. And then um, non-opiate options would be something like 15 milligrams of Toradol, an NSAID. Um, and that can be given IV or IM. Um, usually you don't give Toradol PO, but you'll learn all of this with time. Just I'm just trying to give you some options here. Four milligrams IV Zofran, four milligrams IV morphine. Um, that's a four and four. Uh, 15 milligrams of IV or IM Toradol, 25 milligrams of Phenergan. And don't forget, you can always say, you know, let's give um, some normal saline or they come in, you know, the standard size is kind of like, let's give a liter of normal saline. You can give a half a liter, whatever. You, these are just general guidelines, okay? So pain meds, nausea medicines, fluids, that's a solid start to your treatment plan for any, any complaint. The other thing I'll add here, um, I'm all for getting patients ice chips and, you know, sandwiches and stuff. But abdominal pain patients are pretty much, if you're working them up, and especially if you're getting a CT scan or an ultrasound or something on them, they are all potential surgical patients. And so if you're doing imaging on an abdominal pain patient, this is one of those scenarios where they should be NPO. Don't feed abdominal pain people when you're getting imaging on them. The caveat to this is when things come back looking good, 
pretty much most of your patients who are having vomiting or nausea and abdominal pain, they should be able to tolerate some fluids without barfing all over the place as part of your re-examination. But that's once you know that they're not going to surgery. Now let's keep moving. Last step. So step 10, your predicted disposition. And this is really, I feel like a lot of times attendings will push for this, but sometimes not. So I said in my presentation, I think that if everything returns normal, she should be safe for outpatient follow-up within the next 24 hours as long as she's looking okay. Generally speaking, all abdominal pain is going home with a negative workup. And that's assuming you're able to get their symptoms under control. So that's nice to know. The flip of this kind of generalization is that no abdominal pain should be discharged into never, never land. Okay. You need to be telling them follow up tomorrow with your doctor for a repeat exam. And I'll add here, I will always tell them if anything gets worse, or if you are still having bad pain, or for whatever reason, you can't get in with your doctor, please feel free to come back here to the emergency department, hit up an urgent care, anything, but somebody needs to be rechecking you as soon as possible. We need to get to the bottom of this. And sometimes, you know, I, I tend to say one day a lot, but sometimes if it's like a truly concerning picture, so someone's only been having symptoms for maybe eight hours. Um, and you know, it's different if it's been going on for a few weeks and your workup's negative versus if it's just starting, I will frequently tell people, Hey, I want you to get follow up in 12 hours and you can do it here in our emergency department. I want to re-exam on you and unless you're like hundred percent better. So pretty much all these patients will get discharged with a negative workup, but it's very close follow-up. And for doctorless patients, you can tell them, Hey, come back to the emergency department tomorrow. If you're still having symptoms, I want to recheck you. I do this all the time. Let me do this uh, presentation one more time so you can hear it. This is the full thing now. We've talked about all of this. So, hello, Dr. Olson in bed 20. I have a 48-year-old female with a past medical history of insulin-dependent diabetes, no history of abdominal surgeries who comes in with abdominal pain. She describes it as a severe, generalized abdominal pain that started last night and has been gradually worsening since then. She's had some subjective fevers, but no history of AFib and no vomiting, dark tarry stools, urinary symptoms, or vaginal bleeding or discharge. Vitals in triage showed a mild tachycardia, which she does still have in the room, but she's afebrile and otherwise within normal limits. My focused abdominal exam shows nonspecific tenderness throughout. There's no focal guarding or rigidity. There's no masses. There's no CVA tenderness. Honestly, I don't have any particular diagnosis that I think is really the most likely diagnosis yet, but we do need to rule out the life threats of ectopic pregnancy, DKA, and appendicitis. You can choose any of, you know, we'll go through a long list next week. So for my testing plan, I would like to get a pregnancy test, electrolytes, CBC, lipase, liver function, and probably a CT scan with IV contrast. And for my treatment plan, I would like to get her four milligrams of Zofran, four milligrams of morphine, and some fluids. I think that if everything returns normal, she should be safe for outpatient follow-up within the next 24 hours as long as she's looking good at time of discharge. Now, a few more things before we wrap up. Obviously, if you've, I need to say this here, obviously, if you've listened to our slow episodes, you should not forget about these patients once your presentation is done. Do not get sloppy with your follow through because that's what average med students do. When the tests are almost all back, that patient needs a re-examination every time. And you want to beat your attendings to this so that you're watching, you're watching like a hawk, right? You're just watching the board. You're waiting for those tests to start to trickle in. And then your attendings is going to say, once they all back, they're going to be like, Hey, 
the labs are back on Miss X. And you say, yep. I already checked up on her. Repeat abdominal exam is benign. Repeat your abdominal exam. Repeat your abdominal exam, you guys. Your attendings are going to be like, oh, solid work. Um, you can say then, you know, to be honest, she looks great. Or you can be like, to be honest, she doesn't really look too good. I think we need to give her some more medicine. If it's a vomitor with a normal workup and you say, yep, I checked up on her. Repeat abdominal exam is benign and she's able to tolerate some fluids. I got her some water and she's able to keep it down. And then again, if the workup is normal and they're looking good, these patients pretty much all go home with close follow-up. If the workup is abnormal, then this is why you study so that you know the correct treatment to start them on. And, you know, we'll specifically be talking about the critical abdominal diagnoses over these next few weeks. Be on top. The only reason I'm saying all this is you need to be on top of your re-examinations because that what's like separates like, okay, med students from like really, really good ones. Um, before we wrap, let's do this. Let's just give, I know this has been going on for a while, but let's just do a few more examples of how I think your presentations for abdominal pain should sound. I'll give a few more examples and we'll be done. Um, no more medical knowledge this week. This is just kind of some practice. Hello, Dr. Olson in Fast Track. I have a 21-year-old female, healthy, sexually active, but no history of surgery and no other medical problems who presents with abdominal pain. She's complaining of sudden, severe, right lower quadrant abdominal pain that happened a few hours ago, now resolved. No fevers, vomiting, urinary symptoms. She does have some trace vaginal spotting for a few days. Unknown last menses because she's on birth control. Vitals are all within normal limits. On exam, she has a nonspecific lower abdomen and pelvic tenderness. No masses, guarding, no CVA tenderness, um, otherwise a normal exam. I think this might be a ruptured ovarian cyst, uh, maybe, but we need to rule out the emergent diagnoses of ectopic pregnancy, ovarian torsion, pelvic inflammatory disease, and appendicitis. For my testing plan, I think I would like to get a CBC, BMP, urinalysis, pregnancy test, and a CT for appendicitis, and then a pelvic ultrasound. Um, I think we should get her four milligrams of morphine for the pain, four milligrams of Zofran for the nausea, and maybe hang some normal saline. Hello, Dr. Olson. In bed three, I have a healthy seven-year-old female. No history of abdominal surgeries, not on any meds, who comes in with abdominal pain. Mom says she's been complaining of it for about a day. Fairly constant and severe. She's holding her stomach. She tried giving some juice, but the child didn't want to drink anything. Fever of 102 at home. One episode of non-bloody vomiting. No stool changes or urinary complaints. She is tachycardic in triage with a heart rate of 135. I rechecked in the room and she is still tachycardic. She's afebrile here. Her vitals are otherwise normal. On exam, she has nonspecific tenderness of her entire abdomen. Maybe just a little bit more severe in the right lower quadrant. No peritoneal findings. It might just be some gastritis, but I'm really concerned about a possible appendicitis. I'm also concerned for ovarian torsion and DKA. So for my testing plan, I would like to get a CBC, BMP, urinalysis, and an ultrasound of her appendix in right ovary. Probably no CT yet. Let's get her some Zofran and a little Tylenol and I'll, we'll reassess. So I hope this has been helpful for you. Next week, we're going to keep our abdominal pain theme because of how high yield this is but we're going to change directions and we're just going to be hitting and talking about abdominal pain, critical diagnoses. So that when your attendings are pushing you for like, what else, what else, what else? You can just always have something else to give them. I think it's going to be super high yield. Have a good focused clerkship season. Remember, stay humble, but confident. You guys got this until next week. Keep working hard, keep studying, 
and be sure to enjoy your shift.